All right, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. With this being the second Sunday in December, Christmas is on its way. This is without question probably the busiest time of year. I mean, the year already seems to fly by as it is, but however, once we hit the last quarter of the year, it seems to grab another gear. And then once you get to Thanksgiving, it's, it's like the button for light speed gets pushed and everything is just faster and faster and faster. And you think about all the things that go on this time of year, all the shopping, the gift wrapping, the planning, the decorating, the cooking, the feasts, all of it. And for many of us, all of that is piled on top of trying to hold down a full-time job. And I don't think, I've told Jesse and several others, I don't think that we could possibly squeeze one more thing into this month. This is the most wonderful time of year, but it's also the busiest time of year, and it can also be the most stressful time of year. So I thought that I would that we would spend our time from now to Christmas Day thinking about what this season is supposed to be all about. Most specifically, who this season is all about. All of the things that we do from the day after Thanksgiving to December 25th are not done in and of themselves. They are done in response to something. They are done in response to someone. They are done in response and in celebration of the incarnation of the sinless Son of God, of God coming to man because man could not go to God. Therefore, we do decorate, we do bake, we do gather, we do sing carols, we do feast, and we do give gifts, and we do it all to the glory of God Because unto us was born that day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So this morning we look back to when this coming Savior was announced to the very mother that would be used of God to bring Him forth. So look with me at Luke chapter 1, and I want to read to your hearing verses 26 through 38 as we're thinking about the coming miracle of Christmas. Hear now the word of the true and living God. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored of the Lord. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. 
Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was also called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let us pray. Our Father, we have heard your holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Father, we pray that you would give us Holy Spirit-inspired eyes, Holy Spirit-inspired ears to hear and to see what it is that you have for us, Lord. Engraft these words into our hearts that they become one with us, that you give us uh, hearts to receive, but not only that, give us wills to obey and apply. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This announcement to Mary was the first time that God had spoken in about 400 years. Since the time of the minor prophet Malachi to the encounter that we just read about, 400 years have passed. God had been quiet during that time. And we now see that God is about to speak and God is about to move in a mighty, mighty way. As we look at this historic uh, event recorded for us in Luke's gospel, I want us to draw out three things this morning. I want us to see first the person that was chosen. Secondly, I want us to see the prophecy that was given. And thirdly, I want us to see the preposterous possibilities of the impossible God. Point number one, the person that was chosen. Look again at verse 26 through 30. It says, an angel in the sixth month, uh, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was uh, Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. You know, the Roman cat, the, the false teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and the decrees of their popes down through history have robbed us Protestants of an appreciation of the Virgin Mary. Because of their idolatrous beliefs, most of the Protestant churches don't put much emphasis on Mary in their teaching or preaching. In fact, in most, church, most Protestant churches, you're only going to hear about the Virgin Mary during the month of December. Why? Because of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church such as this. They teach the Immaculate Conception of Mary. This is the belief that Mary was sinless and that she did not inherit the effects of original sin. The bodily assumption of Mary, that is the belief that Mary did not die, but she went bodily into heaven. The coronation of Mary as the queen of heaven is also what Roman Catholicism teaches, meaning that God chose her to be the mother of Christ because he willed her to have a unique and exceptional role in salvation as the second Eve associated with the second Adam. And Roman Catholics often refer to Mary as the mother of the Christian church, the queen of heaven, the exemplar of true Christianity, and as mediatrix between the church and God. Mediatrix is the, is the female form of the term mediator. And from hearing that, we know that is not true because the Bible tells us there is but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I was just reading this week in, in 2 John. We spent all spring and summer and in, even most of the fall in 1 John. And I was reading 2 John this week. 2 John's only one chapter. Verse 9 says, 
Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in Christ does not have God. Anyone that goes further other than the teachings of the Scriptures, someone who says, I need more than what the Bible can tell me, that person does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So what's the biblical view of Mary? Well, we see here in the Scriptures. Verse 26 says that this issue was so important and Mary was so highly thought of that God sent one of his highest angels, the the archangel Gabriel, to deliver the message. Verse 27 tells us that Mary was of a virgin. Mary was a virgin. She was engaged to Joseph. She was believed, it's believed that she was to have been somewhere around 14 years old. That was not uncommon in that day. People in that day got married very early in life as compared to today where the studies show that people are waiting until their 30s and even into their 40s now to get married if they even get married at all. Mary was of the lineage of David as seen in chapter 3 of Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel records the lineage of uh, Mary whereas Matthew records the lineage of Joseph. Verse 28 and 30 The angel says that Mary was highly favored by God. Well, that puts her in some great company with people like Enoch and people like Noah, people like Moses, people like Hannah, right? Hannah, who who, who was the mother of Samuel, who was the mother of Samuel, right? She she was barren for for many years, and, and, and and because she was barren, her husband takes another wife, Right, and that other that second wife was was uh, able to have children, and then there's Hannah who has none, and she 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 wants earnestly to be able to have a son, and she promises, she says, God, if you give me a son, once I've weaned him, once I get to where to uh, to where he he he's a, he's a young boy, I'll just turn around, and give him right back to you, and that's what happens. Uh, Mary was highly favored, just like King David just like King David, who was said to have been a man after God's own heart. So undoubtedly, Mary was highly favored. She was handpicked by God to be the vessel that brought forth the Son of God. So undoubtedly, she had to have been a devout young lady. She had to have been devoted to the Lord, faithful to the Lord. And look what it says in verse 29. Verse 29 hints at the fact that she had to have been a humble young lady. She said, and when she saw him, talking about the angel, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind, what manner of salutation could this be? She, 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 was, she was humble. She was a humble lady in that she didn't think she was deserving of such a greeting or being described in such a manner. And in verse 28, Mary is referred to as the favored one. You were highly, she said, the uh, the angel said that she was highly favored and that the Lord was with her. God is for his people. God is with his people. The people of God are favored in Christ and therefore the Lord is with us. One of the names of our Lord Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 tells us that if God be for us, then who can be against us? But listen to the way the angel describes Mary, that she was favored, highly favored, highly favored by the Most High God. But listen to this, she was highly favored by the Most High God, but she is not God. 
And she knew, Mary knew herself of her own need for a Savior. Look over in verse 46 of Luke, of, uh, Luke chapter 1. Look at what, uh, excuse me, yeah, Luke chapter 1, and look what she says. Look what she says. It says, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. The Virgin Mary, by God's grace, recognized that she needed a Savior. She needed the Savior. The Bible never says that Mary was anyone but an ordinary human whom God chose to use in an extraordinary way. Yes, she was favored. Yes, she was highly favored by God. But at the same time, Mary was a sinful human being who needed Jesus Christ as her Savior as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. When we're all familiar with Romans chapter 3 verse 23, which says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yes, that means even Mary. Now, point number two, the prophecy. We've seen the person, now the prophecy. Look what it says in verses 31 through 33. It says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be, called, and he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. This prophecy of, uh, of the one that would come and sit on the throne of David, the prophecy of Messiah's birth goes back much, much, much further than what's recorded for us here in Luke's gospel. For, if, for those of us that know the Bible, knows it goes all the way back to the fall. All the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve when God pronounced the curse upon the serpent. God told the serpent that it would crawl on its belly all the days of its life and that it would strike at the heel of the seed of the woman. But the seed of the woman would do what? Crush the head of the serpent. And that serpent crusher is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about the birth of Messiah was foretold hundreds and in some places thousands of years before his actual birth. And every detail was predetermined by the sovereign hand of God just but right before, before it came to pass. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And then there's Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with, just, with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forevermore. And then there, even, even down to where he would be born. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from ever." 
everlasting. So verse 31 through 33 spells out the prophecy that was foretold by Isaiah. And here in Luke 1, it is revealed who that virgin mother would be, that it would indeed be Mary. Verse 31 and 35 says that a virgin would bring forth a son, and this is what what he will be called. He will be called, his name will be Jesus. Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua, and Yeshua means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. He would be called Jesus, he would be called the Son of the Most High, and he would be called the Son of God. The baby that was about to be born was going to grow up and become someone that the world had never seen or ever experienced before. And the world would not be the same after this baby's birth. He would grow up to save. And he will, he will one day return and set up his throne, set up his kingdom and he will rule of, of his kingdom and he will rule forever and of the, uh, and the rule of his kingdom shall never ever end. Can you imagine getting that news? Can you imagine those of us that are, that are, that are parents or have been parents? Can you imagine getting that news? I mean, I remember when I found out, you know, the gender of my kids, I was ecstatic. When I found out that, you know, I remember the day that we went to the, uh, to, to the doctors for, to have the ultrasound done to find out, uh, what Riley was going to be. I had it set in my mind. We weren't coming out of there till we knew what it was. It wasn't going to be, well, he's asleep. And so you need to, you know, come back later. No, we were going to find out. And the same thing with Aubrey. I, I wanted to know. I wanted to know what the, what the Lord was, was sending our way. And I was ecstatic, right? I, I was ecstatic when I found out that, that they were healthy, right? But I could not fathom getting the news that the child that you're going to raise is the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And if you think about it, Mary didn't have to worry about the health of her child. She knew that not only was her son going to be healthy, but he was going to be the one who would bring the healing to the nations. Point number three, the preposterous. Point number three, the preposterous. Look what it says in verse 34 through 38. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was also called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And before that settles into her spirit, and she understands that she is not dreaming, right? That this is really happening, that this is actually something that's going to happen to her. She says there in verse 34, how can this be? How can this be? I have never intimately known a man. Now imagine this setting, right? There before Mary is Gabriel, one of God's archangels. We're not told in the Bible just exactly what an angel looked like. We've got different, you know, you've got what the, we're told what the seraphim looked like in, in Isaiah's account when he saw the Lord, right? The, the, the seraphim that had six wings, two that covered his face, two that covered his feet, and two that flied, right? And then we're described for us what the cherubim looked like in the, in the book of Revelation. But as far as angels, 
we're, we're, we don't know uh, specifically what it is they look like. But undoubtedly, it had to have been a pretty scary sight. It had to have been pretty, very terrifying. You know, that there before her is this, uh, I can only Im- imagine this very large creature beaming with the light of the glory of God. And so he's, this, this, this thing she's never seen before in her life is standing before her and telling her the most far-fetched thing that she's ever heard. That she's going to have a baby. And she's not married. She's never known a man. Now, Mary was a young lady that lived in the first century. She did not have the technological advances that we enjoy now. She didn't have the ultrasounds and the sonographs and, and all that stuff. But however, she had the, 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 the very basic God-given common sense to know where babies came from, and that, they take, that it takes a mother and a father, and she knew that it was the will of God for fathers and mothers to first be husbands and wives, and she is just, her mind is just blown at this preposterous idea that she's going to give birth to a son, and she's never intimately known a man. And Gabriel informs Mary that though the situation may seem preposterous, though it may seem far-fetched, though it may seem impossible, that nothing is impossible with God. Look again at what it says in verse 35. This is the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God Almighty is the creator of all things. He created space, time, and matter. He exists outside of space, time, and matter. God is not limited to space, time, and matter. And God has the right, He has the authority, and He has the power to work inside or outside of space, time, and matter if he so chooses. He's not limited to the limitations that you and I have. He's not limited to the limitations that he placed on his creations. God is not limited at all. There is nothing that God cannot do. And here the Lord saw fit to show himself mighty, to show himself strong, to show himself sovereign by working outside of the natural order that he had decreed by placing a baby in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like he brought Isaac from a 99-year-old Abraham and a 90-year-old Sarah. Just like he brought Samuel from Hannah who had been barren for many years prior, just like he brought John the Baptist from Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were old as well. God stepped up the impossibility by bringing forth Jesus by way of a virgin's womb. Yes, the virgin birth matters. The virgin birth matters. Jesus was not the biological son of Adam because of humanity's sinful nature. Jesus was and is a man, but he was not biologically descended from a father related to Adam. That's how we inherit our uh, original sin. Jesus came not from a man, but from a woman by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' father was God the Father, is God the Father. Thus, Jesus was not made in the image and the likeness of man, as were Adam's sons. 
Adam had been given the direct command by God not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed the command, Adam was the one who was held accountable for sin resulting in the death of the human race. Yes, Eve sinned as well, but she was not accountable in the same way as she was, as she was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He had been instructed directly by God, do not eat of that tree. But if you read that passage, you see he's not somewhere else in the garden. He's not wandering off, tending to the garden. No, he's there with her, watching as she listens to that serpent. Instead of doing what he should do, what the, the husband and the father who is to be the provider and the protector of the home, he should have grabbed that thing up by the neck of the neck and said, God, come get this thing. But he doesn't. He stands there and he watches. And then just he watches as she eats and then he eats as well. It's significant then that, that Jesus was the seed of Eve and as the biological son of Mary, but he did not possess the image and the likeness of Adam as Adam's other sons. He possessed the image of the invisible God, First Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. All other men bear Adam's image, which is stained with sin, but Jesus, by virtue of conception of the Holy Spirit, did not. Yes, again, the virgin birth matters because if Jesus had an earthly father, then he is born in sin. And therefore, if he is born in sin, then you and I are still in ours. But he was born of a clean record and he keeps his record clean and he obeys God's law because he is truly God and truly man. He obeys the law of God on our behalf with his active obedience. And then in his passive obedience, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Because all we like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had gone our own way. But God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And Christ died for sin once for all the just for the unjust. That's why the virgin birth matters. In verse 37, Gabriel tells Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Let that truth minister to whoever needs to hear it this morning. Regardless of what you were going through, regardless of what you were facing, no matter how hopeless it may seem, no matter how stacked the odds may be against you, no matter how impossible the situation may appear, here you have it on the authority of Scripture that nothing is impossible with God. So Mary has the encounter with the truth of God. And she says in verse 38, look what she says. She says, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary says, I'm, I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm the slave of the Lord. If this is God's will for my life, then so be it. If this is what God's will for my life is, then so be it. So with the proper biblical view of Mary, we should imitate Mary in several ways. First, you and I should have the faith to do as she did and take God at his word. We need to trust God and take Him at His word. Trust that He is with us. No matter how dark it may seem, no matter how lonely we may feel, our feelings do not trump Scripture. God is indeed with His people. 
and that he is working out all things together for his good eternal purpose. Secondly, we should focus on the gospel. In one sense, yes, Jesus is the reason for the, for the season. But in another fundamental sense, sin is the reason for the season. We like to think about the month of December as a season of lights, colorful lights, trees, presents, and all of the other feel-good things. But we need to remember how dark the world is without Christ. Because of sin, that is why Christ came. We need to remember that, there are, that the abortion clinics are still open. We need to remember that there is wickedness that happens every single day. We need to remember how fallen, how evil, how wicked this world is without Christ. And then we need to cling in faith to the virgin birth, the sinless life, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ who was Mary's only Savior and our only hope for salvation as well. We need to connect with the strong views that the incarnation affects everything. I've been saying for months that what you and I believe, what we believe, what we know about Jesus touches. It affects every area of our lives. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ is a big part of that. So we need to celebrate the incarnation by doing all to the glory of God. We need to build. We need to sow. We need to eat. We need to discipline our children and even uh, cut firewood. Everything else, everything that we do, we need to do it all to the glory of God. Earthiness, earthiness is not the gospel, but the gospel did come to earth. And finally, we glory in the victory. We glory in the victory. The church gathers every week victoriously. You will gather with your families to celebrate Christmas in victory. You will gather, you will feast, you will give gifts, you will sing, you will laugh, and you will do so victoriously. This is what the angel Gabriel was sent to inform Mary about. This is what we celebrate this season. We celebrate the incarnation of the sinless Son of God who came to make His blessings flow far as, far as the curse is found. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we pray that You would help us to keep our eyes and our hearts focused on the true meaning of this time of year. The presence the lights, the trees, the meals, the laughter, the joy is all done in response to the greatest gift that was ever given in the sinless Son of God. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.